Well, good morning, Jackson. It's good to be with you here. Welcome to October. I know what many of you are thinking. What happened to September? <laughs> well, you missed it. It was cleverly disguised as August. You know? So, today we are uh, finishing up our series that we're calling Don't Go to Church. It's a series that we've been going through to kind of clear up some misconceptions about the, the church. And if you're visiting with us, this is a good, actually a good time to be with us because you are kind of getting in on some kind of backroom discussions of how we see and do church here at Kellbrook. And, uh, and so we've been looking at uh, some of the misconceptions. The first one which, of which is that you don't go to church, right? You are the church. We are the church. Church is something that we are. It's our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. We're as distinct called out ones in the world. And then we talked the next week about the fact that these things called missionaries are not people that we send out overseas to go over there and go do the work uh, that, that none of us really want to do, but that we are all called to be missionaries. The word missionary actually means sent ones, okay? And so we're all sent ones by Jesus Christ. In fact, John 20, 21, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Alright? So you've, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a sent one. And then last week we talked about the fact, uh, we talked about this whole concept of worship. And the fact that worship is not just a song that we sing. Okay? It's not something that we do like, like, you know, the saddles were up here and they led us in worship. As they, that's, when we worship, and then the rest of the week we're just on autopilot. Okay? But all of life and all week long, we can be worshiping the living God. And that there are these rhythms and uh, routines in life that with a little bit of sanctified imagination, we can redeem to be worship throughout the week. And so, uh, so Ryan kind of led us through a little exercise last week that helped us understand how we uh, can do that. And so today we're going to conclude our services by talking about what I think is one of the most destructive heresies that has ever infiltrated the church. And I think that if, if I were Satan, and if I wanted to total, totally cripple and hamstring the movement of Jesus Christ in the world, I would do it by this way. I would convince people that there is this two-tiered system where... There are paid professionals called the clergy. I really don't like that word at all. <laughs> who do all the work. And then there are the laity. And everyone else is normal. And they don't really have any responsibilities or don't get a chance to do uh, any kind of real ministry work at all. When, when you read in the Scriptures that nothing could be further from the truth. Those terms clergy and lady aren't found in the Bible, by the way. You can look all you want. Uh, you won't find such a two-tiered system, two-tiered classification where some people can do certain things and other people don't get to do certain things. In fact, Jesus expressly forbade his followers from creating such a system. He said, don't let anyone call you rabbi because you're all brothers and sisters. Okay. And he says, don't call anyone your father because you only have one father, your heavenly father. And he says, don't call anyone teacher because you only have one teacher. That's me, the Messiah, you know, Jesus Christ. And so, but we have a hard time 
following <laughs> these commands of Jesus. I remember when I was a part of a church in another area, and uh, the, the pastors of this church were literally uh, crisscrossing the entire county that we are in, administrating communion to elderly folks and shut-ins and people who weren't able to come to the gathering on Sunday morning. They're spending a lot of their time doing this. And I, I asked one of the pastors one day, I said, well, why don't you just empower the lay people, the regular people, to go out and administer communion? And I'll never forget the response to me. They're like, you don't understand, Mike. Only pastors get to administer communion. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, can you show me where that says that in the Bible? Like, chapter and verse, please? Because I don't get that uh, anywhere in the Bible. The problem is it doesn't say that in the Bible. Nowhere close. And in fact, what it does say in the Bible is that the people are, of God are to be doing the work of ministry. And if leadership has any responsibility whatsoever, it is to equip and prepare all of the people to do the work of ministry. But in many denominations, this strict division between professional and clergy, where only clergy get to do priestly things, still exists. Uh, is it safe to say that here in Washington County, that we live in a highly Catholic area? Is that a safe thing to say? Okay, yeah. Now, with, without uh, disparaging any of the great things that the Holy Spirit is doing within the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church still holds to this hierarchy where only priests get to do certain things uh, and, and the rest of the people don't get a chance to do any of those things. Now, interesting enough, this month, this very month, we are celebrating 500 years of something. Does anybody know what that something is? Yes, Jen. The Reformation, all right? 500 years ago on October the 31st, the, this young Augustinian monk named Martin Luther pounded up a list of 95 theses onto the castle, uh, the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany, as kind of, uh, and, and kind of sparked off this Protestant Reformation. The word Protestant comes from the word protest, and what they were protesting against were some of the excesses that they saw in the Catholic Church. Now, there were several main uh, kind of streams of thought that came out of the Reformation. One was this Latin word called the sola scriptura, okay? And that means that Scripture alone is our authority, okay? We find our, our marching orders by Scripture alone and not by any kind of church tradition that's handed on down through the centuries. The other thing is the fact that salvation is by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. That it's not by works. You cannot do enough stuff or do anything to earn your way into heaven or into a right relationship with God. So it's, it's grace by grace through faith. Okay? And then, but the last thing that doesn't get a lot of press these days is this whole thing called the priesthood of all believers. That Martin Luther felt very strongly that all believers were called to be priests, to do the work of ministry. In fact, he even said this, that he said, I hope that one day the word priest becomes as common as the word Christian because all Christians are priests. Okay? Interesting. And here we are 500 years later. Now, one of the places 
where Martin Luther would, would gain this kind of understanding from is from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And we've read these verses before uh, here in Jackson. But in Ephesians chapter 4, it's very clear. It, it gives this. Can we throw Ephesians up there? The Apostle Paul is saying this. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Now, the first part in verse 11, it says that he, Jesus, gave these specific leadership gifts, apostles, pastors, you know, prophets, teachers, leadership gifts to the church for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is found in verse 12. To prepare all of you guys, God's people, for works of service. Okay? You look at the word service there, the Greek word for that word service, is what the New Testament is written in, is diakonia, which is the word where we get the word minister from. Okay? So all of you are called to be ministers and to do the work of ministry in the world. So, the way that this fleshes out at Kettlebrook Church is we don't believe that there are certain things that only guys like Ryan and myself get to do. Okay? Everyone gets to play. Okay? Everyone gets a part to play here. So, things up there like things like baptism, okay? Are things that everybody can do. Okay? And we just had a baptism actually up in West Bend at Regnant Park. We had about 15 or 16 people get baptized. Troy and I barely got in the water. In fact, we were looking at each other before, and I'm like, you baptizing me? You know, you know, I baptized my son, but most of the people who got baptized were baptized by people like you in the congregation. They're small group leaders. They're parents. Okay? So things like that. Things like communion. Now, we will celebrate communion here uh, at, at, our, at our large group gatherings, but we also celebrate communions in our small groups. Okay? And we celebrate, and, and everyone, is, you know, our small group leaders, they're the ones who administer the communion to people. You don't need to have a paid professional or a priest to be able to do communion. The next one out there is preaching and teaching. Okay? Over the summer, we had several people from the congregation, normal people, imagine that, get up here and do some of the preaching and teaching because we believe that everybody has been gifted in the body of Christ. And some people are gifted with this gift of teaching. And so we want to give them an opportunity to express that gift and exercise that gift of teaching. Now, we understand that's a lot of work to put together a message. Sometimes it's 20, 30 hours to put together a message. So we have people on staff who do this regularly as part of their routine. And, uh, and so we allow for that. But that doesn't mean that only paid professionals get a chance to do this. Everybody gets, to, gets a chance to play. Even things like weddings and funerals. We have had small group leaders this past summer. We had a small group leader perform a funeral for the brother of one of his people in his group. Okay? The, this guy had a brother who overdosed on heroin. And the small group leader was the one who stepped up to the plate and did the funeral for that guy. And so, this is what I want to say. Keep this up here. The areas of the world where the church is, the growth of the church is slowed or stopped or in decline are areas where only certain individuals get to do this kind of stuff. But the areas of the church where, of the world where the church is just exploding exponentially and growing, 
beyond a belief is areas where everyone gets to play. And everybody gets to do these kind of things. And all people are equipped and empowered to do uh, the work of ministry. And the reality is this, is that we are not served by priests in the church. We all are priests of the living God, God called to serve our world. Now, there was a time in Israel's history when there was a very clear delineation between the sacred and the common, the spiritual and the secular, as far as vocation goes. And there is this well-defined priesthood, okay? Out of all of Israel, there was one tribe out of twelve who was called to work in the tabernacle, this tent, this mobile tent that Israelites would gather together to worship in. And only one tribe was allowed to work in that tent. That was the tribe of, anyone know? Levi! Yeah, the Levites! They were the ones who were able to do this, okay? And out of that tribe of Levi, there was only one family, and that family was the family of Aaron who were called to be priests. And they were the ones who went in, into, the, into the Holy of Holies and into the Holies, and they made sacrifices, and they did all the work of worship. And if you read the book of Leviticus, which is really interesting reading, by the way, you know, that's like the playbook of the Levites, right? Okay, Levites, Leviticus, you get it? Okay, that's like the playbook. And you can read all sorts of things of how they were to do their sacrifices and how were they were to lead the people in worship and what they could and, and could not do. But then, a day came when one high priest came and sacrificed himself for all sin, for all time, for all people. And that great high priest, Jesus Christ, Hebrews says, just upset the apple cart. And it changed everything after Jesus gave his life. In the Old Testament, there was one nation out of all the nations in the world, right? That were God's very own unique people, the nation of Israel, right? In the New Testament, guess what? God's people come from all nations, all tongues, all different tribes, okay? In the Old Testament, one tribe out of twelve were called to be ministers and able to do the work, right? Guess what? In the New Testament, we're all called to be ministers. In the Old Testament, one family, the family of Aaron, was allowed to be priests and do the work of the priesthood. And guess what? In the New Testament, we are all, all of us, invited and called priests of the living God. One of the places that shows us more clearly than almost any other place is in 1 Peter chapter 2. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. You will find that on page 840 in your Bibles. Or if you just want to follow up on the screens, you can do that as well. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. We have read these before, but these are such critical and crucial verses for us to understand as we are trying to get our arms around who we are as the people of God here at Kettlebrook Church. So I just want to read these and then we're going to kind of comment on them just a little bit. Verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once 
you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans or among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. So, this whole idea of us being priests, this is picked up again uh, by the, uh, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, but in all these passages, and there are, there are others, it says that we collectively are the priesthood. In First Peter it says that we're a royal priesthood. It says in another passage that we're a holy priesthood. So what exactly does it mean that we're priests? Okay, you might be sitting there going, okay, Mike, great. I'm a priest. Does that mean I get to wear a collar? Like, what, is, what does that mean? Okay, well, in the Old Testament, being a priest had several implications. One is that they were in charge of the worship. They are the ones that kept the worship calendar and the weekly, monthly, and yearly rhythms and rituals. They were in charge of the entire sacrificial system and they led the service. Their job was worship. Worship was what they do, what they did. The other thing is that they were holy. They were completely set apart. They were distinct from everybody else. The book of Leviticus is very clear who could and could not be a priest. If anyone had a blemish, if anybody had a deformity, they couldn't serve as a priest. They were to be altogether holy, separate from the common things. And they were to be mediators. They were to be the mediators between the nation of Israel and the living God. They stood between the two of them. If you wanted to go and meet with God, you went to the priests and only to the priests. And the way that they fulfilled their duties as mediators is they served. They served the nation of Israel. They were those who did what was needed to be done so that their fellow Israelites could be right with God and could meet with God. This is their unique contribution to the nation. And as such, they, they had no inheritance. They had no, no land of, of their own. They depended solely on the tithes and offerings of the Israelites. But one thing was for sure, Israel did not serve the priests. The priests served the nation of Israel. And when that equation got turned around or got confused, there was trouble. Okay? Now, it's interesting if we look at this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, we see the exact same things happen. We see the themes of worship. We see the, see the themes of holiness. And we see the themes of service in these passages. Can we put the 1 Peter verse back up there? Gary, the, okay, yeah, go back a couple more. And one more. So he says, he begins by saying this. Oh, we had it there. Okay. He says, but you are a holy, a holy, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might do what? Declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You, we are to be a worshiping people. It begins, being a priest begins with this whole concept of worshiping God, of allowing the goodness and the greatness of God to so capture you and so capture your affections that you Worship Him and Him alone. That you know that only He is worthy of our worship. That is, 
It's His goodness, His kindness that rescued us out of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of His Son that He loves, Colossians says. And we live our lives as just an offering of thanksgiving and worship back to Him for that. When was the last time you did that? We just sat in God's presence and said, God, I worship you. Read the book of Psalms and just practice worship and just rehearse some of the Psalms and talk about how good and how great and kind and powerful and mighty and brilliant is God. And just sit there and worship Him. You will never become a priest of the living God until you learn to adequately worship Him. It begins with worship. And then it, and then it continues on. It, begin, it then, then begins the, whole, the holiness. Let's go on to the next slide. It begins with worship. And it says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. What is Peter calling us to here? He's calling us to holy living. In fact, if you look at the first chapter of Peter, he says, it says that we are to be holy because God is holy. And we are to represent Him. We are to allow His values and His priorities to influence us. We are to reflect the, the, the priorities and the values and the, and the attributes of the kingdom of God. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit are the things that are supposed to characterize our life. And when we begin to worship God, guess what? By the Holy Spirit, He begins to work out those things in our lives. And we actually become holy people as we learn to worship the living God. And that you become different. To be holy is to be different, to be set apart. Just think, if, think if, imagine, if you went to work and you just let the things like love, joy, and peace characterize your life. You don't have to go with the, with the rest of the fruits of the Spirit. Just let love, joy, and peace characterize your life. Would you be different from everybody else at work? You bet you would! You would be holy! You would be different! You would be set apart! People would be like, what is up with you? Okay? So it begins with worship, and then it goes to holiness, and then it ends with this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your what? Good deeds. Good deeds. And glorify God in the day He visits us. It continues with service. It begins with worship, and then as we worship God, He begins to make us holy people, and as we become holy people and let things like love, joy, and peace dominate our lives, that then leads us inevitably to serve others and to step into the role of the servant and say, how can I be good news to my broken world? Jesus himself said this. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as we follow Jesus... We follow him into that service. And Paul says it this way, that they may live such good lives among the pagans, among unbelievers, you're going to live these great lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, they may see your service, they may see your kindness, they may see your generosity, they may see the fact that you reach out for some of the most vulnerable people in the society. And when they see that, you get a chance to point back to God and say, it's all because of God. This is not because of me. If you see anything good in me at all, it's not because of me. We're not good people. We're not Boy Scouts. We're not Girl Scouts. <laughs> We're actually messed up people. 
but it's because of God working in our lives, changing us. And you invite them into worship. Go to the, the slides. If you can go to the slides with this flow chart up there. I'm sorry, I'm skipping around here, Gary. You're doing awesome. There you go. So it begins with this. Here's the flow of First, first Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. It begins with worship. We become a worshiping people. As we learn to worship the living God, He changes us into His likeness and holiness. Okay, Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness dominate our lives and that leads us inevitably into service and good deeds and reaching out, wading into the mess of our society and saying, how can we be a voice of hope in this area? Where is there dysfunction? Where is there brokenness in our world that I can address as a follower of Jesus Christ? Because if we don't address it, no one else will. And you know what? It's that very service, that very good deeds that we do amongst our world, in our world, that then gives us the credibility. It gives us the one thing we need most in life, folks, credibility, to point back to Jesus Christ and say it's because of Him. As people see what we're doing, they become put on inquiry. (laughs) Why are you doing this? They become curious. And that's our opportunity to point back. It's almost as if our good deeds is the bridge that carries the weight of the truth of the gospel. And without that bridge of our good deeds, we have no voice. Engagement in our world is the very thing that gives us a voice in our community. Because people don't care what we know until they know that we care. If we don't have this service in our world, if we're not serving a broken world, we are just that strange group that meets in the community center on Sunday mornings. And nothing else. And many people won't come to these gatherings because of how good the preaching is here, or how good the coffee is afterwards, or how good the music is. They just won't. But they will come if they encounter a group of followers of Jesus Christ lovingly, kindly, patiently serving people in our world. I know, I know for a fact, there are people in our gatherings today because of your involvement in things like Citizen Advocates. I know that for a fact. There are people who are up in West Bend this morning, right now, because of things like Celebrate Recovery, our outreach for people who are in drugs and addictions and alcoholism and all sorts of things like that. There are people who are, are in our small groups today from the justice system in Washington County because of the way that the people of Kettlebrook have brought all the broken and kids from, from, uh, from foster families and adoption into their families. There are people who are in our small groups today because of that. It's our very act of service and loving a broken world, doing that well as God changes us, that gives us a voice in our community and allows us to point back to the one who saved us and brought us out of the darkness and into the kingdom of the Son, whom He loves. You are all priests called to serve a broken world on behalf of of our leader, Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. If we can get those up there. He says, You are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your what? Good deeds. And praise your Father in heaven. What does Jesus say our light is? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Our good deeds is our light. And then when we we complete that circuit and point back to Jesus Christ, what do they do? They get a chance to praise not us. We don't want them praising us. But praise our Father in heaven. If we don't ever get around to being priests, we don't ever get around to pointing back to Jesus Christ. We dare not abdicate our roles as priests in this community. We dare not. Dare not. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would bring this home to us. Pray that you would remind us of our calling, our unique calling in this world as your priests, to represent you, to serve people well. And that in doing so, we'd have chance after chance and opportunity after opportunity to point back to Jesus and say it's all because of him. It's all because of him that we're doing this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.